Let's talk about the Atkins diet and some of the myths surrounding the Atkins diet and the truth on how Dr. Atkins actually died. We bring on his former colleague, Colette Heimowitz. excessively high in protein, never was. And I challenged Dr. Atkins once, because he, he used to say, eat all the protein you want. It's like, well, you really can eat all the protein you want. He says, Colette, they're not gonna eat all the protein you want. Protein is satiating, it's self-limiting. Carbohydrates are reinforcing. So if you let them think they could eat every all they want of something, they're more likely to try it. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, chances are you've heard of the Atkins diet. There's a lot of different variations of it, and to be honest, a lot of misconceptions on not just what the Atkins diet is, what it was, and how Dr. Robert Atkins passed away. You're actually going to hear from one of his closest colleagues, who Colette uh, Heimowitz, who actually was there when he died. Um, and she is going, going to give you the full scoop. But we also get into Colette's backstory. And then we get into the difference between keto and Atkins and the similarities between keto and Atkins. Uh, the different four different phases of uh, at the Atkins 20 diet. And, uh, you know, she explains each different type of Atkins diet and applies it to what your goals are. So maybe you'll extract that and see which one might potentially work for you. Uh, we also get into intermittent fasting uh, and keto slash Atkins. Is it necessary? We agree, but we also disagree on different ways to practice fasting. But she does like it. You'll hear about that. I also ask her the question, hey, a lot of people who do keto and even Atkins, there's results in the beginning, and then the results kind of slow down, you hit a weight loss plateau. What are some of your favorite tips for overcoming a weight loss plateau? She'll give you that. We talk about the disgusting, devastating statistics on disease in America and why the government guidelines when it comes to nutrition should be avoided. As a matter of fact, look at it and do the opposite. <laughs> She'll talk about that. And then ask her the question, of course, how did Dr. Atkins die? People were saying, oh, the Atkins diet uh, is so unhealthy for you. And as a matter of fact, Dr. Atkins died of a heart attack and he was obese. Is that true? You'll hear the true story because she was actually there. You can learn more about um, Colette and her books and her resources. We'll put that down below so you can get her info. But uh, before I bring her on, I want to take a minute to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. Today's rating and review is from Songbird55, five-star review titled, Learn the Power of Innate Self-Healing. 
Learning lots from Benazadi about how to get healthy so my body can heal itself. Such a great researcher and teacher. I listen on Roku. Install the free TuneIn channel. Go to podcast and search Keto uh, Spacebar Camp, Camp with a K, and change your life. Songbird, thank you. I love the title of your review, by the way. Learn the power of innate self-healing. That is exactly what we aim to do with the research and our guests and our episodes. And thanks for that tip for Roku. Uh, I actually have never used a Roku, but I imagine many of you have a Roku. So she gave you a way to listen to the show on Roku. Pretty cool. Uh, Thank you for listening and taking the time to leave that rating and review. Hey, if you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review, please do so. I know I always ask you, but the reason I do is because it's so important. It's, It's literally the lifeline for podcasts. The more ratings and reviews we get, The more reach we get, the more people we help. And that's the ultimate goal. So if you've been listening, please leave an honest rating and review. And maybe I'll read yours on the next episode. Real quick before I bring on Colette, uh, I announced on the previous episode with Dr. Dominic Nischwitz that we just made available our seven-day Keto Kickstart Challenge recordings from the previous challenge we just completed with myself and Dr. Kate Shanahan and Dr. Rebecca Warren and and Cynthia Thurlow. And we have professional notes and resources and the replays are available. They It was life-changing, incredible. You should have seen the comments we've got. And you can get lifetime access to all the recordings and the professional notes. That price is going up in about four days. So hopefully you hear this on time. Head over to KetoChallengeRecordings.com or use the link in the podcast notes, KetoChallengeRecordings.com to see more of which uh, what each session entails and what's included and all that good stuff. It's pretty affordable and uh, that price is not going to remain any longer. Okay, let's bring on Colette Heimowitz. Colette Heimowitz is the Director of Education and Research for Atkins Health and Medical Information Services. In this role, she manages public relations, directs research efforts, designs continuing medical education programs, and directs the Atkins Speakers Bureau. In addition, Colette serves as a member of the Atkins Nutritionals New Product Development Committee. Previously, Colette was the director of nutrition at the Atkins Center of Complementary Medicine. Prior to working at the Atkins Center, Colette spent 20 years directing nutrition departments in the offices of complementary doctors such as Leo Galland, medical doctor, Serafina Corsello, medical doctor, and others. Her corporate experiences include vice president of research and development at Coal Air Laboratories, a company specializing in herbal technologies. She's been featured on national TV, CNN, Fox News, uh, MSNBC, and she's also an incredible researcher. So here is Colette. Colette Heimowitz, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Nice to be here, Ben. It's nice to see you again. Nice to see you. Uh, we're going to have a, a great conversation, which I believe is going to be very valuable to my audience that are doing keto. They've heard of Atkins. They want to know what is the difference between Atkins and keto. And you're the right person to ask. I mean, you've worked directly with Dr. Atkins. You've written books with him. And you've seen a lot of the uh, myths out there. So before we even get to all that good stuff, how did you even get involved with the work of Dr. Atkins? What's your backstory? Oh, yeah. So I was in private practice working in physicians' offices. And my job at the time, nutrition, was all the rage then, back 25 years. You know, it was new, and doctors were interested in getting 
nutrition information to the patient. So I would go in, set up a nutrition department, train their nurses and their physician's assistants, create diets that address certain diet-related diseases like heart disease, diabetes, hypoglycemia, food allergies, and then leave behind, you know, the handout materials for the health professional staff. So I would go through, I would spend maybe two to three years in each office and then move on to the next office. And at the time, alternative medicine was the big rage. And so I would set up educational material for doctors and see private patients in their office. My last stop was with Dr. Atkins because in my private practice, I found that the only way I was able to get the clinical results in patients' profile, you know, when they do blood tests, the doctors do blood tests and you have your your profile and we check their blood sugar. The only way I can get the clinical results with their lipid profile and their blood sugars was to go lower in carb. So I created a hypoglycemic diet, you know, where they would eat five times a day, they would eat protein and vegetables and fruits and nuts. And and that worked really well. And then that really stubborn patient that needed to go very low in carb, I was hesitant to do because I did, there wasn't a whole lot of research 20, 25 years ago. So I went to Dr. Atkins and I said, how low can I go? Can I look at your records to see the, the results of going very low? And then he said, well, you know, I need a nutritionist. So you want to come work for me so you could see for yourself? And I went, sure. It was time for me to move on, you know, to my next practice anyway. So the first thing I did in his office was a retrospective study. Now, there was no computerized records back then. Everything was handwritten. But I managed to study about a thousand patients' histories to look at their blood response and the level of carbohydrate intake. And what I found was women in their 70s and 80s when the HDL of 70. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, I can't get athletes to have good cholesterol like that. I couldn't believe that the lipid profile was better, all the risk for heart disease was better, all the risk for prediabetes was better. And oh, by the way, they lost weight. I was more interested in the health outcomes, but anybody that had any amount of overweight on them disappeared. So I became very passionate. It's like, well, you got to tell the world about this. We got to write books. We have to fund research. This is incredible. And there wasn't much research. I mean, he didn't create the diet. He got the diet out of a medical journal that he read. There wasn't much back then. So we finally met with Eric Westman from Duke University. And Dr. Atkins went into his own pocket and funded a pilot study that could be published. And then once it's published in peer-reviewed journals, scientists get really interested in that. So we we showed safety, efficacy, of the diet. And then of course, 20 years later, here we are, we have, you know, 200 randomized controlled trials and independent done by the NIH, done by universities in private practice to show safety and efficacy. So yeah, I know I was there from the beginning and I loved watching the progression. Yeah, and everybody knows Atkins. I mean, Atkins diet, Atkins books. It's it's every year. It's, it remains to be very popular, which I love. And the question I get asked all the time, and I want you to answer the question is, 
What is the difference between an Atkins diet and a traditional ketogenic diet? Okay, so the Atkins diet has four phases, the original Atkins diet. The first phase is Atkins 20. That's ketogenic, no different than the ketogenic diet you see today. Moderate protein, high fats. The only carbohydrates you're consuming are vegetables, namely, because there's not much, you know, with 20 grams, there's not much you can play with. That's ketogenic. When, and the same as what you see out there today, when research advanced and we looked at the clinical outcomes, what the research community found and what we observed is that you could maintain a ketogenic metabolism at 50 grams of total carb or less. Now, what I saw in private practice is that the 20 gram was hard to sustain. Um, you know, people would lose their weight and then they'd start adding carbs and there was always a carb creep and there was always weight gain and then some, you know, some deleterious effects to their health. So we created the four phases and that was when Dr. Atkins was still alive, four phases. So the Atkins 20 and then the OWL, O-W-L, ongoing weight loss, where you start to add five gram increments of carbohydrates each week. And then there was pre-maintenance and maintenance. So this way an individual could find their personalized carbohydrate tolerance. Some people had to stop at 60. Some people had to stop at 50. Some people could take in 100 grams of carbohydrate and maintain their weight. So the four phases of Atkins, once you get above 50 grams of carbohydrate, it's no longer ketogenic. Then the body switches back and forth between ketosis and glucosis and, you know, it's not the ketogenic. More recently, we created the Atkins 40 program because what we thought is like, okay, if Atkins 20 is too rigid, too complicated, four phases, adding five grams a week, you know what? <laughs> People give up. So we created the Atkins 40 program, which is you could start at 40 grams of net carb. As long as you're under the 50, you're still in a ketogenic diet, but now you could have some berries. And you could have some nuts and a little bit of full-fat Greek yogurt. And with more variety, it's more sustainable. Still ketogenic, but with more variety. That's where we part some ways from the rigid ketogenic diet that's only vegetables and healthy fats and moderate protein. And then more recently, we created the Atkins 100 program. People don't want to go through the four phases. You don't have a lot of weight to lose. You're just a pre-diabetic right now. You could do an Atkins 100. You're still taking in half the amount of cal calories and carbohydrates that the American public is taking in, but you still have the health benefits. So the difference is Atkins has more choices, more variety, more sustainability for a lifestyle approach rather than always staying low. And there's some people that have to, have to always stay low. If you're a diabetic and you want to avoid insulin, you got to stay low but they're more motivated because they're treating a disease. Or if you have epilepsy and you're not re responding to medications, you're more motivated. You're going to live at 20 for the rest of your life on a ketogenic diet. Yeah. I, I love the flexibility in those different plans. And I actually personally like the idea of rotating the plans. I mean, one time you could do the 20. So do you like that idea too, oh, rotating absolutely. those plans? Yeah. yeah. It's a slippery slope when you when somebody has a lot of weight to lose and the primary outcome is weight loss. If you switch from Atkins 40 to Atkins 100 and then Atkins 40, you're not staying in the fat burning mode and you want to get rid of that extra fat first. 
So when you're close to your weight goal, and if your primary outcome is, is weight, then my suggestion is to stay low and add very gradually to find your carbohydrate tolerance. But some of this young and healthy and they're just doing keto because they feel great and they look great and their bloods are great. And yeah, definitely. I would, you know, I would always tell people you could carb cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. And, and I think you said the Atkins 20 is 20 total grams of carbs, but you said the Atkins 40 is uh, 40 net. What's, why did you decide to do net? The, the original Atkins was Atkins 20 total. The new one, when we found, when we we change our advice based on the emerging research, what we found is that fiber has a minimal, if any, impact on blood sugar. And the success of that ketogenic is controlling blood sugar and avoiding spikes in blood sugar and too much insulin. So the Atkins 20 current. Atkins 20 is 20 Got it. carbs. Got it. And for those who don't know, it's total carbs minus fiber equals net. So it gives you a little bit more wiggle room, but and more vegetables, more vegetables, right? That's ideal way to get those carbs, not in different sources. So keep that in mind. Vegetables would be the, the goal there. Unless you're doing like a 40, you could add some berries and a hundred, you have more room, but you're right. Even if you're doing the Atkins 100, which is hundred grams of carbs, it's still less than half of the standard American diet. So it's still yes. low carb, but it's not low enough to be it's keto essentially. Yeah. yeah. And we tell people don't have it all at once. You know, the, you have to spread out your carbs to avoid the spike in blood sugar. So we recommend to shoot for 25 net carbs per meal and 25 for snacks in between meals. So we know that in America, most people have metabolic dysfunction. Uh, there was that study that came out from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, 2018, which showed 88% of American adults were unhealthy. What's the main contributor here? Is it is it only that we're eating a high processed carbohydrate diet? Is it the frequency? Is it both? Is it something else? What is the What are the main contributors to why we have this percentage? Yeah, it's a little more complicated. It's the environment you know, that we live in and all the toxins that we're exposed to. It's the inactivity. It's sitting in front of computers all day and lack of exercise. And I think the main culprit, however, is overconsumption of carbohydrates, especially the high glycemic carbohydrates in processed foods. And when the U.S. dietary guidelines are telling people to consume 50 to 60 percent of the carbohydrates and it's considered healthy, and every government program ladders up to the dietary guidelines. So the, you know, the, the, the programs that feed the most needy. That's why you have so much diabetic uh, population and obese population and the people that are depending on SNAP or, or food stamps. Um, even the school lunch programs have to follow the dietary guidelines. The military have got to follow the dietary guidelines. Everything ladders up to the dietary guidelines. And we've done lobbying in Washington to talk to them about it. You know, it's like the cost of diabetes and obesity to our government is incredible. It's it's growing at twice the rate of inflation and it's costing trillions of dollars in healthcare cost. And their excuse to me was, well, this is only for healthy people. It was like, all right, so now you're talking to 12% of the population and ignoring 88% of the population. 
So right now there's a bill in Congress from a congressman from California, and he's proposing that there's separate advice for people with diet-related diseases. And that it would have it would still let her up to the dietary guidelines and and you know what you're not going to change you insist on not changing and continuing to do the same foolish thing over and over again let's have different advice for the people that need different advice so i'm praying that he gets somewhere with a bipartisan bill so we have scientists familiar with the research to be able to advise on a lower carbohydrate diet i mean the american diabetes association has done it recently they're recommending, you know, the Atkins 100 type, you know, 130, but that's still better than what the dietary guidelines are. It's progress. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's certainly American progress. Association has done it. It's recognized lower carb. And we we've seen the Tufts University come out with that food compass recently, right? And and they're showing, you know, foods to be encouraged, Cheerios and frosted mini wheats, food to be minimized, like red meat, eggs and cooked in butter. It's like the the opposite of what should be doing and it and they just because they have to ladder up to the food guy pyramid yeah exactly it's it's, it's unfor- until we change the food guy pyramid the dietary guidelines it's all crap this will yeah it's going to continue to you know make the same old mistake over and over again i always say structure trumps intention you could have all the best intentions in the world but if you don't have the structure in place it's going to be very difficult to get the amazing keto and fasting results that you want If you are on the go traveling and you don't want to think about what can you eat to help you feel satisfied and to help you continue getting results on your keto journey, for me, my structure when I'm on the go, when I'm traveling, and when I want to have something nearby that's a healthy snack, my go-to is Paleo Valley's Beef Sticks. Paleo Valley Beef Sticks are the perfect gut-friendly, clean protein snack for on the go. And if you have children, this is one of the best things to give your kids. These beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and finished by farmers right here in the United States. They contain naturally occurring probiotics, which helps increase the diversity in your gut. It contains organic spices. It has high concentrations of omega-3 fatty acids, elevated levels of conjugated linoleic acid, which we know is an antioxidant and also could enhance your body's ability to burn fat. It contains vitamins and minerals, elevated concentrations of glutathione, which is your body's master antioxidant, and it's good for the environment. They have flavors that range from original to garlic summer sausage, regular summer sausage, jalapeno, teriyaki, and they also have turkey sticks available as well. They taste so good that I usually go through three or four, and I think I might set the record for eating almost 10 Paleo Valley beef sticks. Maybe somebody out there has eaten more than me in one sitting. You know, me and my fiance, Natasia, we're always fighting over these beef sticks in our house. We go into the pantry and I hear her unwrapping it and I'm like, hey, are you eating one of my beef sticks? <laughs> they are delicious. And since you are a avid listener of the Keto Camp podcast, we worked out an exclusive deal for you to get 15% off your entire order of Paleo Valley products. All you need to do is head to paleovalley.com and use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. That is KETOCAMP15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below in the show notes. So the next question is this. You mentioned that the main culprits are processed carbohydrates, eating them frequently. 
we know that the optimal amount of glucose in the bloodstream when you're in a fasted state is about one teaspoon, right? 80 milligrams per deciliters. What happens when it's more than that? And what is this advanced glycation end product that is created from sugar? Okay, to keep it simple, if you've ever tried to make caramel, you know, that gooey, goppy stuff, which is sugar and protein, right? When you combine sugar and protein, you get this thick, like sticky and sticky. And what that does is attach to the walls of the arteries and form plaque. Eventually it gets hard and then heart disease is right behind it. So two grams or two to four grams of blood sugar is what the body is equipped to circulate all the time. So you need two to four all the time, meaning when you're eating as well as when you're fasting. Got it. And the body will get that glucose from other from the liver, from muscles, from any place to maintain that level of two to four grams of sugar, which is equivalent to about a teaspoon of sugar. When you go too high by eating a high glycemic carbohydrate like white bread, white rice, pretzels, potato chips, ice cream, (laughs) the list goes on and on and on. You raise your blood sugar. And if you want to know how much it's getting raised, you could look at the glycemic load, GL, of food, and then you'll know how much your blood sugar is going up, right? Every time it goes up, the body knows, hey, that's too much sugar. It elicits the pancreas to produce insulin because insulin's job is to take that extra blood sugar, take it out of the bloodstream. It doesn't belong there. Takes it to the cell for energy. What it doesn't need for energy, it's stored as fat in the form of triglycerides. So somebody that's over-consuming carbohydrate will have high triglycerides and low HDL. Perfect scenario for stroke. That gives you a higher risk of stroke. So the way to avoid the spikes in blood sugar is to consume low-carbohydrate foods, low-glycemic type of carbohydrates if you don't want to go really low. Spread them out. Eat a carbohydrate with fat and protein so it blows the emptying time of the 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 blood sugar that goes into the bloodstream, you know, so you don't get that spike and that too much insulin. And then what happens, why we have so many pre-diabetics and diabetics, 52% of the population, by the way, is insulin becomes less and less effective. You know, it's like a, it's like a car, you know, just blood sugar metabolism gets run down Insulin is not as effective. And now you have insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. With insulin resistance, you have chronically high blood sugar and then eventually diabetes. And then eventually diabetes leads to a whole host of other kidney failure, amputations. Yeah. Yeah. So you you mentioned um, a good good marker to get done, you know, takeaway for the audience is get your blood triglycerides and blood HDL done. What is your Looking at that ratio of triglycerides divided by HDL, what would you consider an optimal ratio there? I like to see triglycerides under 100 and HDL above 60. So, okay, under 100 for triglycerides, above 60 for HDL. And then if you do you look at the ratio at all? For, or, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I would say probably like under 0.5 or under 1.0 would be a good ratio, yeah. right? Yes. Uh, um, and total cholesterol doesn't tell you anything. Yeah, it's Everybody's nonsense. so huh? fixated on total cholesterol. It's the number one question I get asked, Colette. one milligram. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's insane. Number one question I get asked is, you know, I'm worried about doing keto or I'm doing keto, my cholesterol is high. And I'm like, 
no. You're what else can we fat. see here? <laughs> yeah. When you're burning fat, it's not going to accumulate. In fact, saturated fat won't even raise your, your risk for heart disease when you're burning fat. And then the, the market that you look for for your blood sugar is HbA1c. The doctor will do that, and that's an average of your blood sugar over a three-month time. That has to be under six. Yeah, even better under like five yeah. if you can, like oh, optimally. Yeah. But yeah, for sure under six, right? And 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 but to your point, those sugars, including the A1C, might not even change for several years. But that insulin could be just pumping out. The pancreas could be pumping out insulin. So, do you recommend also getting a fasting insulin done to look at that? Doctors are really reluctant to do that, and I still to this day don't understand why. Um, maybe it's not that accurate. I'm not sure, but, um, that would be great. If you can get your doctor to do it, that would be a nice indicator, but it's only a snapshot. You know, you need to know what's the only way to know that is with a pump, you know, over a, a longer period of time to know how the insulin is performing. Yeah. The way I like to do that, I mean, you could let me know what your thoughts are is either putting like a, a continuous glucose monitor or some on somebody or having them do the finger prick one hour postprandial, two hours postprandial to get an idea of how their insulin is doing. Yeah. I, I think the best thing that's happened recently is the glucose monitors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because people could see immediately what a food is doing to their blood sugar. That would, that's been the greatest thing for pre-diabetics and diabetics because then they learn which foods are doing it without an intellectual learning type thing it's more kinesthetic you know it's like here it is this is what it's doing i'm not gonna have that anymore yeah exactly it's such a great tool and then the fasting insulin part there are ways to kind of work around the doctor you could actually get them online some some companies actually offer kits so i do see that as a valuable resource uh, another tool in the shed right Going back to cholesterol, you mentioned that looking at total cholesterol is not going to give you much data, but just the role of cholesterol. How, how important is it to have cholesterol in the form of nutrition, but also the proper amount in your body? It's the precursors to all the hormones in your body. Yeah. You, it, it buffers the organs. It protects the organs. It, it, you know, it, it's great for the immune system. So, you know, patients used to be so proud. I got my cholesterol under a hundred. I, that would freak me out when it was that low. I would only see very low cholesterol in people whose was totally immune compromised. You know, something was really wrong with a patient that naturally had that low kind of cholesterol. And but that's what they do. They give drugs to drive it as low as possible to get that risk ratio down. But total cholesterol isn't telling you anything. You have to look at the entire profile. And not only LDL, but the the size of the particle of the LDL is really yeah. important. Size matters yeah. in this case. Size matters. Yeah. So break that down a little bit. You have the small particles, the large particles. What do they mean? So the large fluffy kind of LDL is less likely to attach to the arteries and form health plaque. The small dense uh, particles are the kind that will attach to the arteries and form plaque. Like too much LDL is not such a great thing. It, ha it has to be in ratio to the other things in your profile. But the if it's large, fluffy LDL, sometimes when you do ketogenic, your LDL does go up. A lot of times it's because you're losing weight and you have more free fatty acids circulating. But then I'll tell my patients, if it's a result of HDL going up 
and triglycerides going down, you just have more free fatty acids circulating in your bloodstream. Let's check the particle size and see what the risk is. Now, there are some genetic predispositions that diet's not going to touch. You know, there are some patients that have that gene, and and I like to use natural sources of lowering cholesterol, but there's, you know, some patients just need a low dose of statin at times. Yeah. And, and what you said is important about the LDL, like get the particles done. Do you run an, an NMR test, uh, nuclear magnetic resonance? Yep. Is that what you do? Yeah. yeah. And uh, see if they're in the right ratios. But if you see the HDL going up and the triglycerides dropping, that might be the reason why. And it's not, pro- it's not going to keep That's your right. LDL up long-term. It could be mm-hmm. a short-term thing. Yeah. With acting patients, we would tell them, don't repeat the profile before six months because Good it call. takes a while. Yeah. The first thing that to respond is triglycerides plummet. Then next, when triglycerides go down, then HDL goes up. Total cholesterol will go up temporarily. LDL will go up temporarily. But eventually, in long term, six months to a year, it'll it'll improve as long as you're sticking to the That's to the good. Program. Do you also look at inflammatory markers like HSCRP, oh, fibrinogen, homocysteine. What are your favorite yes. ones to get? I liked homocysteine. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty good indicator for heart disease. And could you explain what that's looking at? Like, what is homocysteine? It's just about inflammation in the body. You know that, and that's why COVID played such havoc with our population because we're already inflamed from too much insulin, from being overweight and obese, from eating inflammatory type foods. And that was a disease of inflammation. Yeah, so true, so true. That 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 conversation should be around metabolic health. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. What What are your thoughts on protein? Some keto advocates recommend you know all the protein you can get. Some say low protein. Some say I know Atkins is more moderate. But what are your thoughts on to- like the total amount of protein to ha- consume and the types like plant versus animal? Yeah, it depends. <laughs> so. When you're aging, you need a little more because you're not turning over. Uh, you know, you're losing muscle and, you know, you want to retain as much muscle as possible. When you're working out and building muscle, you need more. But I, I try as a general rule to tell people never to go over 30% of total calories. That's too much protein is not good. It stresses the kidneys. It will turn to glyconeogenesis, will turn it to blood glucose. Not as much as carbs do, but some to some extent. So, but a general rule that's pretty safe: if you keep it under thirty percent of total calories, you're you're in a safe zone. In some cases, in a ketogenic diet, they like it at a twenty percent mark. Okay, and and what about fasting? Are you a fan of intermittent fasting? What about something called fat fasting? Honestly, with with a clean ketogenic diet, you don't. I don't think you need it. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's a good practice to do just to, for detox purposes and to clear out at any extra insulin and blood sugar. So I tell people that are on the strict ketogenic diet, you only need to do 12 to 18 hours. You don't need to do longer than that. And I find if you do longer than that, it throws off your appetite cues. There's a certain calorie requirement that you have. When you don't meet it, the signals of hunger will go to the brain and your signals won't be the same as what your physiological needs are. So I like the idea. 12-hour fast is good for anybody, just you know, for your digestion and better sleep and all of that. 18 hours is okay for detox. But honestly, if you're on ketogenic, I don't find it necessary. 
Got it. So you are a fan of intermittent fasting, 12 to 18 hours, but longer than that, not necessary. Not necessary. If you're on keto, you're, you're already detoxing. You don't have spikes in blood sugar and insulin. I've seen people who do keto naturally begin to intermittent fast as just like a byproduct of feeling satiated yeah, and full, not, right? You're not as hungry, yeah. Yeah. Um, you have a book, which is the Atkins 100, one of your books, but is that your latest book, the Atkins 100? Yeah, the... Uh, this one, Eat Right, Not Less, Atkins. Yep. We went through, this is when we went through in more detail about the Atkins 100 program. But the, what I what I think we did here that's so brilliant, we, we showed people how to do in columns right next to each other. Here's what Atkins 20 looks like. Here's what Atkins 40 looks like. Here's what Atkins 100 looks oh, like. Oh, cool. So you could see not much difference. You know what I mean? You're just adding maybe a starchy vegetable at an Atkins 100, but in a controlled portion, maybe a tablespoon of chickpeas. You're not going crazy with carbs in Atkins 100. So you get to see in the book exactly the difference between the three. And then you could choose what level that you think you could sustain. Because the most important thing is sustaining it. The worst thing is to go from high fat, low carb, moderate protein, to a high carbohydrate. And now you're used to eating a lot of fat and you're still eating a lot of fat. That's the worst combination, high fat, high carb. And to go back and forth like that is no good. You have to find something that you can sustain, which is why we have so many options for people. That's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link for that book and all your books in the notes below. Hey, Keto Camper, there's a simple tip that I teach to my students inside of my Keto Camp Academy that really helps them on their journey in the great land of ketosis. Now, a lot of people who do keto, they tend to struggle because they are missing this simple little tip. And that is the importance of replenishing your electrolytes, especially when you lower your carbohydrate intake, like ketosis, you're going to lose a lot of extra water weight. That's a good thing. You're going to look lighter, you're going to feel lighter. But the kidneys go through this diuresis process and you do release electrolytes as well. That's why so many people do keto, but they have unpredictable mood swings, energy crashes, they feel exhausted and they're wondering, why am I not getting all those amazing benefits everybody speaks about with keto? The simple fix, use a high quality electrolyte. The one that I use, the one that I love is Upgraded Charge from Upgraded Formulas. I love them because it's a unique proprietary absorption method with nanoparticles and it has a 99.99% absorption rate. This is maximum bioavailability. Upgraded Charge includes upgraded magnesium, upgraded zinc, upgraded sodium, potassium, and it tastes freaking awesome. It actually tastes like a non alcoholic margarita. The flavor comes from a natural lime peel. Take upgraded charge during your intermittent fast throughout your day, replenish those electrolytes, and you're going to notice a difference in your energy, your mood, and you're going to really maximize the incredible benefits of ketosis. Upgraded Formulas has given you a 15% off coupon code for being a valuable listener of the Keto Camp Podcast. That is awesome. They're awesome. If you head to upgradedformulas.com, and use the coupon code KK15 at checkout, you can get 15% off their upgraded charge and anything else you add to your cart. 
That is UpgradedFormulas.com. Use the coupon code KK15 at checkout. I will also drop a link for you down below in the notes. What advice would you give somebody who maybe they've been doing keto uh, or one of these Atkins plans for three months and they've gotten some results, but they feel like their results are slowing down? What are some things to kind of break that stall? Well, there's several things you have to look at. Um, are you under more stress? Stress has a profound effect on your weight and your health. Have you done a carb creep? Have you gone beyond your carbohydrate tolerance? And sometimes we just don't know. I mean, sometimes the body just needs a break from weight loss. All the toxins that we have stored in our body is in our fat cells. So when you're burning fat, you're releasing those toxins. And sometimes the body says, oh, wait a minute. I need some time to clear the liver out. You know, there's a little bottleneck going on. So sometimes I just tell people, no pun intended, wait it out. If they've gone beyond their carbohydrate tolerance, then I'll tell them to cut back on 10 grams of carbohydrate or go back to the Atkins 20 for a week just to get fat burning stimulated again. Yeah, that's a great tip. I love that you addressed the stress part first. Could you touch a little bit more about that and how stress causes weight loss resistance and all these health challenges? And it's all about the stress hormone cortisol. So when you're under a lot of stress, the body produces cortisol. The body then will produce insulin to buffer the effects of cortisol because it's a stress hormone and it has deleterious effects to your health. So now you're producing a lot of insulin without carbs. You're just producing insulin, which causes water retention, sodium retention, inflammation, you know, from excess insulin. So the the thing is to find a way, and sometimes we'll do it through supplements. You know, there are, you know, theanine and uh, and lots of these other kinds of supplements you could take to bring down the, the level of stress. But exercise is a great tool to get rid of and control stress, meditation, you know, that, then that's when we, we push alternatives to try to get that stress level down. Because that's the first thing that's so important. You're right. It's cortisol is that the bully of the block, right? So, so is insulin. When they're around, they're like just causing havoc, right? Yeah. <laughs> what role does sleep play with this? Again, if you don't get too much sleep, the body doesn't have time to heal. And that is a stress on the body. It could, you know, too few sleep could cause your recovery to be slower, your heart rate to be higher. It's important to get at least, you know, seven hours a night, at least. Yeah, so true. There was a study that came out, there's several studies, but one of them that I'm thinking about in healthy men after seven days of being sleep deprived, so not getting enough total sleep seven days in a row, they had blood glucose levels of a pre-diabetic, right? Because of the cortisol and all the, the processes happening there. It's insane. It's <laughs> just from that seven days. That's wild. So you mentioned the American Diabetes Association and how there's some progress, which, which is good. And the food pyramid and this new bill being proposed in California, like what do you predict the, the future next five years in America? What is it going to look like? I think we're at a tipping point right now. I mean, they don't, they don't have a choice. I mean, the population is sick. And there's this whole food is medicine initiative going on that I'm encouraged about. The White House 
conference on food and hunger, I mean, and nutrition, they're looking at diet-related diseases. Once you look at the science, you, there's no other conclusion that you can come to. I mean, the dietary guidelines was very um, clever at eliminating the low-carb research because they have a research library that they produce for the scientists to review and come up with their recommendations based on science, right? But it depends on the questions that you ask and what the inclusion and exclusion criteria is. So what they did very cleverly is they eliminated any study that had a primary outcome of weight loss. Boom, there goes all the low carb research. So now that more food is medicine is intriguing, you know, the top of the pyramid, they're curious about that. And they will include weight outcomes in the next rendition of the dietary guidelines based on an independent study from the National Institutes of Science, Medicine, and Engineering, the NASM report. They recommended that they look at, you know, a, a broader array of research. So once the research is able to bubble up for them to consider and look at, then they're not going to have a choice but to. That's how the ADA did it. That's how the AHA did it. So I think we're in a, in a good place. Maybe not for the next rendition because the government moves so slow. But if we have different advice for diet-related diseases, that'll help. What about this push of um, a plant-based diet, the vegan push, which is super strong? They've got really good marketing. Like, Where do you see that going? Yeah, well... I'm a type O blood, so I need animal protein. I was a vegetarian for 10 years, and I had to run like six miles a day not to gain weight. Wow. <laughs> so, because as a good vegetarian, you need to combine your proteins and get you know whole grains and beans and, and to get some good protein. So for me, it didn't work. I'd, I did it because it was a philosophical thing, you know, so I don't think there's anything wrong with it as long as you're getting your protein. But now that we have such such great medical foods and protein alternatives like whey protein, dairy protein, pea protein, there's ways to supplement the diet that you don't become B12 deficient. So yeah, if that's your thing, there's ways to do a vegetarian diet and do keto. Um, if you're a vegan, it's harder. So I tell people get at the level of 50 or below total or 40 net or below because you're going to need some dairy and some nuts. Um, I, no, vegan wouldn't have dairy, so you're going to need some nuts. I don't know if they eat eggs. Vegans don't. Vegetarians would, but vegans, vegans just plants. No. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get. I mean, I understand it because of the state of the environment, but um, it, you know, it depends on your metabolism, your blood type, your activity level. Some people just do better with animal protein. I think most people do actually. I mean, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions with meat and the environment. And the challenge is this, and I was a vegan for a year and a half, not a vegetarian for 10 years, but I also did it for more like philosophical reasons, but it didn't, it didn't work for me. And I, I, I didn't want to destroy my health. So the problem is this Colette, even if they're getting enough protein on a vegan or vegetarian diet, if it's a plant-based protein, it's just not bioavailable. The anti-nutrients, you have to make them complete. So that's a challenge, no? Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes. 
So, you know, yeah, so there are better ways to do it. I, at what I did a blog about meatless Monday, you know, want, you want to contribute something. There's a lot of research if you're just having a meatless Monday, do it with some tempeh or tofu on that day and, or some, you know, with eggs and dairy that, that would contribute something. Yeah. The tempeh and natto, like fermented soys would be a good, a good source, right? Yeah. Like non-GMO fermented soy. So there's ways to get the protein. It's just, I think for most people, animal based would be a lot better for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. I found that for me too. <laughs> right. But I understand it. So, I, you know, I, I don't want to say, no, don't do that. You know, yeah, people yeah. that are health conscious as well as environmental conscious, eventually like you and I will come to that conclusion themselves. Right. Exactly. Um, what are some of the misconceptions around Atkins? There's a lot of myths going around. Like what are the most common ones you've seen regarding Atkins? Well, that it's excessively high in protein. You could eat all the steak you want. I mean, for years they had, whenever there was any mention of Atkins in the media, there was a steak frying in butter. That's you know, true. Yeah. Steak frying on magazines, or, they would show that. Yeah. <laughs> or hamburgers with butter melting on top. And so it's not excessively high in protein. It never was. And I challenged Dr. Atkins once because he, he used to say, eat all the protein you want. It's like, well, you really can eat all the protein you want. He says, Colette, they're not going to eat all the protein they want. Protein is satiating. It's self-limiting. Carbohydrates are reinforcing. So if you let them think they could eat every all well, they want of something, they're more likely to try it. And, the, you know, that was, he had a marketing mind. But no, you can't eat all the protein. You can't eat 20-ounce steaks three times a day. It's it, So the misconception is that it's it's too high in protein and that it doesn't have any vegetables. And, and if you follow the Atkins well-constructed, low-carbohydrate diet, you're taking in six to eight servings of vegetables a day. Yeah, he is right. It is very hard to overdo it with protein, right? The the, the cholecystokinin, the leptin, the peptide YY of these. Yeah, I, yeah, it might do it for a day or two, but then, and then you're like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. It, it's it's <laughs> exactly. the same reason why, like, if you went to a restaurant and got, I don't know, like a 16 ounce ribeye, and you finish that, you're like, stop. But they bring the dessert cart. You're like, I got room for that. But if they brought another <laughs> steak, you're like, no way, because different chemicals, right, from carbs versus protein. There's also a myth that uh, Dr. Atkins died from heart disease as well. Yeah. So you want to address that too? Yeah. I was there. He, it was in April. It was a hail rain. So it's unusual time of year to have hail and rain in freezing sidewalks. He used to walk to work in Manhattan in Midtown. And he slipped on the ice. As simple as that. He hit his head on the curb. Of the concrete curb, and his brain swelled. They opened him up to get the swelling down, but he, but by the time that all happened, he was already brain dead. Mrs. Atkins had a hard time pulling the plug because he was on life support. And when you're on life support, they give you intravenous fluids to maintain the body. And but the kidneys aren't working, none of your organs are working. So he just blew up, blew up, blew up from the liquids that they were giving him for a week before she was ready to pull the plug. So there was physicians for alternative medicine. You know, that's a vegetarian front group. No, physicians for forget the name of the group. But anyway, it's run by Paul O'Neill, who's a vegetarian. He sent a doctor to the emergency room, the cardiologist, to say he needs his records. He wasn't his doctor. The hospital gave him the records. On the records, it showed that his weight was 260 or you know something 
obese, and he had cardiomyopathy, which is an infection of the sack of the heart, nothing to do with diet. So, of course, they wanted to get it out in the media that he he had heart disease and he was obese when he died. Nothing to do with diet. Mrs. Atkins sued and she won the lawsuit because what they did was unethical. And then I called Paul O'Neill, who runs Physicians for Responsible Medicine. That's it. And I said, like, what's going on with you? <laughs> It's like, you, you could be a vegetarian. I'm not going to judge you. You know, it's like, okay. It's like, but why are you so against an Atkins science? Because Dr. Atkins pushes meat. I grew up on a, on a slaughter farm for beef, and it traumatized me. And I, I cannot bear the thought of people eating beef. Wow. So you know what? I can't argue with <laughs> you. What do you say? I mean, it's a, a very emotional decision that he made, and it's awful. Um, and, but yeah, it's like okay, okay. <laughs> see you later, man. Right. I thought I could do some diplomacy, but yeah, no, there's nothing, nothing you do there. What was your favorite, or, or a couple of favorite things about working with Doctor Atkins? Like, what did you learn from him? Well, he was a clinician. He was a really good clinician not a researcher. So it, it took some pushing to get him to get the research out there because he thought well, anybody can come to his practice and he would help them. And we had a whole patient coordinator department bringing them in from all over the world, setting them up in hotels and making all their appointments within a two week period so they can get all their tests done before they go back home. I mean, he, he just wanted everybody to go to him because he wanted to heal the planet. He was really passionate clinician and he really cared about his patients. He wasn't a researcher. His personality was a little cankankerous, like he would call people names like dietitians. He he had a he had a dog that he named that he thought was smarter than some of the registered dietitians out there. So that might have been right. Best way to influence people and make friends. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so took a lot of arrows. <laughs> exactly. So in that way, it was it was hard because I'm more of the diplomat and I try to you know bring everybody in the circle. But he was just so passionate about helping people and such a great clinician. You know, I had a lot of respect for him in that manner. Yeah, that's wonderful. And then you're, uh, you know, you're carrying the legacy with with your work and your books and all the cool things that you're doing. Where can the keto campers, my audience, uh, check you out? Where do you want them to go? Well, you can read the books, www.atkins.com. We have, I have a weekly blog that I post every week. There's a community there uh, where people experience low carbers, could help each other through difficult times, answer questions. When there's a nutrition question that needs uh, professional advice, the moderator will ping me to post in there so you could talk to me within the community there. And the website it has every all the information you need. You know, you could search anything. We also have a health professional portal, HCP, so Atkins slash HCP.com. All the research is in there. We actually did some food modeling. So we have meal plans that meet all of the macronutrient requirements as well as fiber requirements and nutrient requirements. So you could see what a well-constructed Atkinsite looks like in the meal plans. And the recipes are great. They're all original. They're all low carb and they're all delicious. 
Awesome. Yeah, we'll put your website down below and uh, we'll get your social media and put it down below. What last question for you is about what I call uh, vitamin G gratitude, my favorite vitamin. And what are you grateful for today, Colette? I'm grateful to be here with you today. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I'm grateful to be still alive to see hope for change for the future. That's beautiful. Well, I'm also grateful to be with you today. Thank you for your tremendous research and dedication and for carrying the Atkins torch. I, I love that you keep pushing it forward. So thank you for coming on the show today. Nice to see you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation and learned more about the Atkins diet and the truth behind Dr. Atkins' death. Go get Colette's book. We'll put it down below. We will also put her website, her social media. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview and all Keto Camp podcast interviews, that can be found on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Keto Camp. Share this with somebody you know and uh, go leave the show a rating and review if you haven't done so already. If you want to get those challenge recordings, lifetime access, it's available right now at a special one-time special special price, very highly discounted. Go to ketochallengerecordings.com and let's connect on Instagram at the Ben Azadi. Have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.